the College Football Fix Podcast. With Paul Meyerberg and Dan Wolken. This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports. Okay, College Football Fix, Bowl Edition, CFP Edition, just a couple days away from the semifinals, which are on New Year's Eve. Paul, I will be celebrating 2023 in the press box at Mercedes-Benz Stadium because the stupid people who run this sport have decided that in years where the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl are not hosting semifinals. We have to change the paradigm of how people celebrate New Year's Eve, which um, it will change the paradigm of how I celebrate New Year's Eve because I'm going to the game and I will be writing about it. But uh, for the rest of America, this is uh, pretty stupid. And honestly, uh, it's not great to be spending midnight on New Year's Eve in a press box, but uh, not for me necessarily, although it's not great for me, but just in general, like, why are we doing this? They are so stupid. Yeah, it's like the dumbest thing the playoff does is put these games on New Year's Eve. And I don't know why. The ratings are bad. Um, fan yeah. interest diminishes. It just doesn't make any sense, Dan. Uh, to be honest, I don't know why they still do it. And we'll see if they keep doing it when we go to 12. They probably will. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's not great for the sport. That's the bottom line. It's not great to have these games on the 31st, even if that's how the calendar matches up. Yeah, it's it's not. Well, let's uh, just talk for a minute about bowl season uh, before we get to the playoff games. We've got a lot of games done. Uh, is there anything that has struck you about what you've seen so far except for uh, Mike Gundy whining, which uh, we'll talk about in a second? Yeah, that was the new story of the day for sure, or of the bowl season was Gundy's comments. We should definitely chit-chat. Um, pretty I don't ever want to use the word boring with this sport, but not a lot that stood out to me. It's been kind of predictable and a little bit dull on the on the bowl end. I thought it was very cool that New Mexico State won. Um, I thought the Troy-UTSA game lived up to expectations. Troy had an outstanding season. That defense, which was great all year, finished with a bang. Um, BYU-SMU, good game, not the cleanest game. Um, I'm ready for the main event, Dan. These games yeah. all feel like, not even like appetizers, these are like the these are amuse-bouche games, it's, so I'm ready to move on to something a little bit more hardy. It's been hard for me to get fired up about it. I was glad to see our friend Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated did a piece uh, today where he was talking to Nick uh, Carparelli, who runs the bowl organization. Essentially, the the group of, of people who run bowl games have a organization to try to do things in concert, and uh, he talked about you know, he's, of course, his job is to advocate for bowls. He talked about wanting them more involved in the expanded playoff, which I actually don't think is going to happen. But he mentioned that they're open to the idea of paying instead of the checks that get cut to the conferences and then the conferences distribute them to the teams in their leagues, that maybe they go to a model where the money gets funneled through as NIL for the players. You know, maybe to incentivize more participation, fewer opt-outs. Um, you know, I just saw Butte from LSU was opting out of their bowl game, even though he's coming back, I believe, next year. Like, there's there's really no reason for him to opt out other than just he doesn't want to play in the bowl game. 
Um, if that's where we're at in this thing, there does need to be change. And I've advocated for it. You can do it. I've reported last year there's a college basketball tournament out in Vegas that paid like several players NIL money to promote the event. Like, you know, you go tweet out, hey, come watch us in the Vegas Invitational Classic and use the code, you know, Kentucky Wildcats to get a 15% discount or whatever. It's not pay for play. It's not an appearance fee, which is against NCAA rules. It's a marketing deal. And the truth is, this is also stupid. You can make the rules however you want. The schools are the ones who make the rules. So I like it. I think it would be a good change. I don't think it would solve every issue, but I like that people are thinking progressively about how to make this more attractive for the participants as well as the viewers. Yeah, Dan, like, um, hey, I love the idea. And I think if you're not in love with the idea, you probably, you know, you root for the owners kind of thing in sports, which means I probably won't be friends with you. But um, sorry for the noise. I think um, it strikes you when you, for example, watching last night, the Carolinas game, um, and they're promoing um, the sugar, and it's Bryce Young and Deuce Vaughn. And, yeah, then it makes perfect sense that Bryce Young should get an appearance free like Tiger Woods playing the Cleveland Open or whatever other trash journey he gets paid to do. So I would love to see it. I think, Dan, and, and you would know more than me, I'd be interested in your thoughts. This seems like pipe dream is too far. Just seems so hard to pull off. What are the what what how much red tape do you need to get through to make this thing happen? And is is it even really realistic that this could even become a thing? I don't I don't know if it seems really realistic to me. I don't think it's actually that complicated because like I said before, as long as it's not explicitly an appearance fee, then it's within the rules and they could also change the rules. Like there's a D one committee that can handle this kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, it may get gummed up a little bit in the NCAA bureaucracy, but they can do whatever they want. And I do think for some of these schools, like there should be an incentive to figure out how to make these bowl games better, because the truth is the schools have been put in this position where, you know, you, you, you make the, you know, the, I don't know, the the Holiday Bowl or the Sun Bowl or something like that, and you got to buy all these tickets, and you have to have a fired-up fan base that wants to go buy them or the school takes ends up taking a bath. Well, you know, you can change the model and make it more financially feasible for the schools. And also, again, like everything these schools are doing right now is trying to avoid litigation and trying to avoid players becoming paid employees. Well, this is one way that maybe you could head that off. And I've said this from the moment they announced playoff expansion. I wrote a column about it. Like the money in this system is going to be so wild. It is going to be so remarkably out of control. And you've made the season incrementally longer over the years. There's teams that are going to end up playing like 16 games to win a national championship. That's crazy. That's an NFL season. It used to be. 10 games and a bowl. It used to be 11 games and a bowl. Then it was 12 games, a conference championship and a bowl. 12 games, a conference championship and two playoff games. We're just keep we just keep making it longer and longer. At some point health and safety's got to matter. At some point, you know, all this other stuff has to has to go toward the players in my opinion. Yeah, and this seems like a kind of minor part of it, but maybe it, it influences the thinking. We've watered down bowl play 
um, the quality of it, even though we all like get geared up for the fact that 72 teams are going to play in a bowl, we have watered down the quality when Buffalo plays Georgia Southern, no disrespect to either program. It's not a great matchup. They're two six and six teams from the group of five. So if you're marketing bowl play as part of your television package, your broadcast package, you want to get the best players in your games, then incentivize the games. So maybe that's an aspect to it that would have people get to the table and that you shouldn't rely on Bryce Young putting his body on the line one more time for Alabama, for old Crimson Tide, to have a good game. Maybe there's a way to get him to play because he gets some cash money. I would play – I mean, if I played a football game against Alabama right now, my body would be destroyed beyond the point of recognition. My life would never be the same. Um, I'd be in a wheelchair the rest of my life, but uh, I would do it for $25,000. No, $250,000 as I think about the damage to my body. But you incentivize that game. I'll put my body on the line. You know what I mean? So throw some cash around. They've got it. What are, what else are you going to do with it? Put it in crypto? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's an interesting scenario. I'm glad they're thinking about different ways of doing it. I mean, there was also in that article some talk about changing the standards uh, six and six, maybe not good enough. I mean, look, the reality is if they do away with that, then there's going to be fewer bowls because every year we're sitting here with, what is it, 41 bowls at this point, uh, 41 or 42? 42 if you count the championship game, I guess. Most people don't. So, yeah, 41. Yeah. So, you know, like at some point you have to figure out um, a numbers game that makes sense if you're not including six and six teams, we're always looking at how, if there's going to be enough bowl eligible teams and it's, it's usually pretty close. So either it's going to stay six and six, or there's going to be fewer. If there's fewer, that's fine. Like I'm not one of these people who sits there and says there's too many bowl games. If you want to watch great, if you don't, don't people are making money. People are watching on TV. People are gambling. It's fine. Like I don't care. Um, but if there were like eight fewer bowl games, I don't think anybody would know that notice the difference. I mean, I wouldn't. No. I mean, you know what I mean? I wouldn't. This absolutely not. We can we can dial it back a bit. We shouldn't, but we could. All right, let's talk about Mike Gundy. Uh get this out of the way. So last night, uh we're recording this Wednesday afternoon. So Tuesday night, they play Wisconsin in the guaranteed rate bowl, which is the bowl that's out in uh, Phoenix at the baseball stadium. Which by the way, I hate college football games being played in baseball stadiums. Hmm. I think it looks bad. The logistics are terrible. Like, don't do it. I don't know why we do it. Agreed. Tangent. Um, Oklahoma State ended the season losing uh, five out of their last six. And they ended up, after a very promising start, seven and six. They lose to Wisconsin. Luke Fickle, by the way, coached Wisconsin, which is wild. You never see new coaches coaching bowl games. Yeah, quick tangent on that, Dan. And I meant to mention it when you brought the games up. Watching that game, I, uh, I was trying to rack my Rolodex to think of other coaches who have done it, and I can think of only two. Uh, Sonny Dykes going into his first year at SMU, Brian Kelly going into his first year at Cincinnati. And I understand really small sample size, but, I mean, I think there's a little there, – there's now maybe some tangible benefit. Yeah. Stepping right in and getting to know your guys, like, Leading the team through prep, like talking to him in the locker room. That's like for a lot of guys, your first time you do that is September 3rd. So I think that's an interesting decision by Fickle. There's no reason not to do it other than you just don't want an L on your record, right? Or something like that. You're just afraid of, but there's no reason not to actually get your fingers, nails dirty and coach that game. So yeah, I, I give Fickle a lot of credit 
uh, for, for taking that on. But more interesting was after the game. So Gundy's does doing his press conference and a reporter uh, by the name of Marshall Scott, who is the owner of a website pistols guys, um, which is, you know, kind of a big, uh, it's a big, like Oklahoma state, you know, fan site blog, yeah, whatever you want to call it. They cover the team. And he basically asks Gundy about if he is going to make any staff changes in the off season, given how disappointing it ended. And Gundy immediately gets his back up and says, do you think I'm going to tell you that? And he says, Marshall Scott, as a good reporter would says, no, but it's, I have to ask. And uh, Gundy basically goes off on him and, you know, basically makes it this thing about, oh, you know, uh, families and, you know, these are people's families. Don't mess with people's families. We got to do things the right way, blah, 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 blah. And um, totally goes after this this reporter. And at the end, he says, I don't care about the game. I don't like ignorance. That was his that was his tagline, which. um Given some of uh, Gundy's uh, proclivities and news outlets that we know he consumes, I'm not sure he's one who should be talking about ignorance. But um, here's the bottom line on this. And this became a thing because of Mike Gundy. And I've seen some fans say this isn't the right time to ask about staff changes, blah, 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 taking Gundy's side. BS, okay? This gets asked all the time after bowl games, which by the way, for beat reporters who cover teams is often the last opportunity they'll have to talk to the head coach for, you know, maybe months. And it's a perfectly appropriate question to ask. And if you're the head coach, there's a pretty easy way. If you don't want to answer it to deflect it, just to say, Hey, look, uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks evaluating everything about this program. I don't have any answers right now, but everything we're going to do in the off season is going to be about getting better. Boom. End of end of it. And that's usually what they say. And that's why you never see this stuff on Twitter because it gets asked every time and it gets answered in some version of that way every single time. Only Mike Gundy turns it around and makes it a media bashing thing and trying to basically accuse these guys of being insensitive. Hey, by the way, Mike, let me let me uh, let you in on something. It's not us who's going to be affecting people's families. It's you when you end up firing their ass. Didn't he also, Dan, say something along the lines of. Uh, oh, he was going to cut you out. Cut you out of the program. I, I may need to cut ass. you. I may need to cut you out. Yeah. OK. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, I want to give Gundy the benefit of the doubt to a very slight degree. Okay. You got your doors kicked in by an interim coach and a six and six team, and maybe you're sniffing. You know, you're not smelling. Your your team smells bad, so maybe you're in a bad place mentally. Okay, um, this is just one of the dumbest things, one of the dumbest arguments that a coach can get into, one of the dumbest things that he can choose to die on in terms of a hill, and he does this all the time, and he's almost at this point like a lot of coaches. He's like. Uh, He's like a, a sheriff in a small town somewhere in a bad movie or like the guy in Roadhouse who like owns the town, and expects everyone to do what he says and can yeah. keep everyone in line. It's embarrassing. And I don't want to I don't 
do you know the reporter in question? Are you I don't. I've never met him. Don't. And don't this, know. like, whenever the, this comes out of someone like our mouths, it sounds like big shotting. It's not at all. I don't know who he is, and I don't want to critique him or criticize him. Um, I did see that he tweeted afterwards. I'm sorry. I should have chosen my words carefully or more carefully, and you know, maybe at a different moment. Crap. No. no. Like you said, this was the moment. You just finished a miserable season from five and zero to seven and six. Your offense fell apart. Your key offensive players have hit the portal running out the door. This is the time to ask that question. And A, Gundy shouldn't be trying to like bully someone from his pulpit. And B, this dude should not be apologizing. He asked a good question. He followed up with a good question. He stuck to his guns. And I, I don't want to see him back off now and say, oh, I don't want to lose my access. I get that. Um, you're a fan site or even a newspaper. Your access is dependent on the availability. And if you lose that availability, maybe you lose your job or maybe you lose your website. So I get why you do that, but I, I hate that he had to. He felt that because you shouldn't have to apologize. This is a good question asked at the right time. There's no better time. The season is over. It may not see you till March. Definitely may not see you after you make this decision in two days that five guys are fired. So um, I like yeah. the question. It was a good time to ask the question. Gunsy's response was, again, out of line. And to be fair to uh, our friend Marshall here, he didn't exactly apologize. He just said, I've had time to reflect on the exchange, and while I think it was a fair question, I wonder if it was the correct time or place. That's something I need to ponder more about. No, you don't. You don't need to ponder it. You don't need to ponder it. You Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't let it affect you. The only person who needs to be pondering how they handled the situation is Mike Gundy because he is an enabled, entitled asshole. That's what he is, and that's what he projected in that moment, and that's what happens when you get a guy in a you know tiny college town like Stillwater uh, where he is the biggest game in town, he's the only game in town, and everybody bows down and kisses the ring because he's done pretty well for the last 20 years winning college football games. That does not mean that you get to bully reporters or choose who covers you or any of that. That's that's wrong. And um, you know, I've seen some people comment say, oh, the media is so soft. No, no, no. The only person who's soft here is Mike Gundy. As soft as the my pillow he probably has in his bed. Yeah, I was gonna say, did he um did he accuse Dominion voting systems of manipulating the scoreboard against Wisconsin? Do we do we know? Or was was there some sort of Italian company that that hacked it to give Wisconsin seven extra points? Um, that's Mike Gundy for you. I think he hasn't been told no enough for a long time. And it's and it's it's created an environment where he is undisputed king of the room. Yeah, that's not great. All right, so uh, that's bowl season. I don't want to talk too much about any of the other games coming up because, I mean, the truth is most of you don't really care. I mean, we're going to sit there and watch Friday night Tennessee-Clemson. I mean, that has a potential to be interesting. I do think Alabama-Kansas State could be a good game because you're, you have Alabama's stars playing, which I, I do commend them for, and, and it'll be fun to see them match up against Kansas State. But I really don't have much more to say on that other than other than just yeah uh, those are worth watching definitely watch those games i think it's great that young and and anderson are going to play um yeah and that's really all i gotta say about that it's cool to watch them one more time you know you don't want to lose that opportunity when he's going to play for the Lions next year or something and and you're going to want to shield your eyes every game (laughs) so this is a great chance to see those dudes so commend them but 
uh, yeah, let's talk about the big ones. All right, so let's uh, start with the Fiesta Bowl, 4 p.m. Eastern, out in Glendale, Arizona, which uh, pretty long way from Phoenix, actually. It's uh, it's a good hike. Well, we were looking 45 minutes. It's been a while. Last time I was there for a game, I think was Bama Clemson, Clemson part yep. two, maybe. No, that was one. I think that was part one. The first okay, one. yeah, yeah, that was the 45-40 game. Um, so it's been a while since yeah. I've been out there for a game. 45 minutes to an hour. We'll see. All right, TCU and Michigan. Michigan's a seven and a half point favorite. Um, we know that Blake Corum is out for Michigan, but as they showed in the Big Ten championship game, that may not matter really. I mean, Donovan Edwards is awesome, and they can do a lot of different things with him. Uh, TCU has been unbelievable this season. They found ways to win games that did not seem likely. They are gritty. Max Duggan is an absolute stud, but I think the dream is is coming to an end, and I think it's going to come to an end pretty emphatically here. Yeah, then to me, well, let me just give my prediction. I'm with you. I think for TCU to win this game, this is the kind of game where, despite the fact that it's two versus three, it feels to me like they've got to be like plus two in turnovers. You know what I mean? Like they've got to have somewhere where they get extra possessions uh, short fields. It feels like that kind of game. Having said that, in my Stephen A. Smith voice, TCU is a bunch of dogs. These oh, are yeah. 110 guys who have like a chip on their shoulder. This is a coach, Sonny Dykes, who's got a chip on his shoulder. And I think you combine that with the confidence that they played with on offense, and you get a really dramatic combination. And that's why they're 12-1. and one. That's why they're here. Um, and I think if Michigan, not that they will, but if Michigan didn't happen to come out flat or come out lazy again there's no chance that they do if they don't take tcu seriously they will get caught by surprise and and they will lose this game it's not like this is georgia state they will lose if they don't take it seriously but like you said i don't love the matchup and to be fair and honest there's really not anywhere on the field that i'd love the matchup for tcu outside of the fact that despite not being great at getting to the quarterback they're really superb in the back end They, they will make quarterbacks work and fit into small windows and J.J. McCarthy's been good lately, but season long, an issue has been consistency and accuracy. So there's a chance there is a chance that they can make things ugly enough for Michigan that they can win a close game, which is what they do. But um, it's not a great matchup, Dan, and I, and I don't like the matchup for TCU. I, I just really don't. Not on paper. The thing about Michigan and what you're kind of hearing coming out of their camp in some of the early media stuff, and I think it's right, is, you know, last year – it was a surprise. They weren't expected to beat Ohio State. They had never been to the playoff. You know, kind of winning that game and winning the Big Ten Championship, that was a catharsis for Jim Harbaugh and a program that just had not been able to live up to expectations. And then they get there and they play a team like Georgia, which they had not played that kind of team before, and they got housed like early and emphatically in that game. Um, and that's that. That's what happens sometimes. But this year, there has been a different vibe around Michigan. This is a, I mean, again, aside from the Illinois game that got kind of hairy, this is a take care of business team. Like they don't mess around, really. They haven't. Like, like you said, you know, that may be the, that may be the thing that would give TCU an opportunity to win if Michigan doesn't take him seriously, but that's just not been Michigan's character 
this year. Like they've pretty much just kind of physically dominated people, imposed their will, and had hadn't had a lot of drama, you know. And I think the the further we get away from what they did to Ohio State in the second half, I think the more impressive it gets. And uh, I just I just can't see them coming out flat or coming out wrong because they know what it takes now and they've been here before. Great point on the second. That's exactly what I was going to say. I would think, not that uh, I have what Saban has said off the top of my head or what Dabo has said, but based off history, teams that get back into the playoff the second time know how to prepare. They know how to use those three weeks. And more importantly, teams that get to a championship game then know how to maximize those eight or nine days getting into the championship game. There's a lot of power to be had in that experience. Um, so I think Michigan's going to be better prepared mentally and physically for this game than they were going into last season. Um, we don't, you and I have talked about Michigan a lot. You and I have both praised Michigan for months and been very high on this team. But I still think, Dan, uh, even as you take a step back and look at the fact that they're one of two unbeaten teams, I don't think there's a lot of chit chat on a national perspective about how great their regular season was. You oh, know? I think it's been incredibly undervalued. Incredibly good. You have one game. You have the 1917 Illinois game, which is like the 13 uh, 12 uh, Alabama game with Terrence Cody against Tennessee. You know what I mean? That like one game where a champion struggles. Everybody's got one bad game. Georgia Everybody. had a bad game against Missouri. Missouri and Kent State. You know what I mean? Like it happens and, and it happens to everybody. Michigan has been so dominant otherwise all year. Uh, I don't think another game within 13 with inside of 13 points. I think Iowa was their second closest, 27-14. That's a steamroll of a season. And, yeah, I, I do think that they have had a different mindset this year, not just we're happy to be here, but we want to dominate. We want to absolutely bulldoze teams, and they've done that. So that silver – or not silver lining, the kind of slight ray of hope that you have for TCU that you can catch them flat-footed doesn't really seem – likely it just doesn't another just thing doesn't. yeah but no, they I, could. I agree yeah, but they could one thing we haven't seen and correct if i'm wrong i don't believe michigan's played from behind at any point this season unless you count late 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 against illinois where you well, needed like six points am i well, right in the in the first half against ohio state they got down and there were moments where it could have slipped from them a little bit like there were moments in that game where ohio state was you know, yep. kind of, it felt like they were on the verge of creating some distance, and they just weren't able to do it. Right. There was that point. You're exactly right. They, they got that ball at midfield. It was like 23-14 or something where a game could have been different. You're right. guess I was thinking you get into the second half of games, you're down by 10 points, and you have to change who you are if, if that's the scenario I'm thinking about. They haven't had to get there, and maybe TCU can put them in that box. Um. I get the impression, Dan, that you and I are gonna are trying right now to find a, a reason to tout TCU for the upset, and and I feel like I'm struggling. Um, they could win this game. I'm just really struggling as I'm racking my brain to figure out how. You know what it is? You know what it is? Honestly, Max Duggan touches the ball 94% of the time. He's either throwing it or running it 90% of the time, whatever the number is. And he just puts this team on his back and has a heroic game. That's it. That's the yeah. way they win. It's the Kansas State method. And they put the ball in his hands and they say, win the game for us. And maybe he's good enough to do it. He, he's pretty good. I don't know if he's that good. I don't know. This one just seems pretty simple. Like sometimes it's just the better team is the better team, you know, and I kind of think that's where we're at here. 
But look, if that's how it ends for TCU, I don't think you can have any regrets or complaints about the way it all played out. I mean, if you would have told Sonny Dykes on the first day of fall camp that they were going to be in the college football playoff, he'd have told you you were crazy. I I mean, I'm sure of it. I think if you had told that to Sonny Dykes, he would have said, of course. But if he had told us that, we would have called him crazy. I think he always has this like overwhelming confidence. But you're, generically, you're right. I don't mean like I'm just trying to be funny. Like th- this is an out of nowhere playoff team, unlike any we've seen. They're seventh in the preseason Big 12 poll. Um, they were picked by people like us to be a borderline bowl team. Um, what they've pulled off, win or lose, against Michigan, I think is uh, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say historic, but it's incredible. And I think it's um, it's a resume maker for a lot of people, for Dykes, for Duggan, for Miller. For, Garrett Riley. Yeah, for Garrett Riley. Great, great example. It's a resume maker and a career maker for a lot of people, and they deserve it. It's just a historic year. That's the best way to put it, like you said. And by the way, they parlayed it into a great early signing period. Uh, they've got, on paper, the best class in the big 12 for whatever that's worth what the big 12 will be going forward i should say so i don't think it necessarily ends here like i don't think this is the end of the line i think this is a team that over the next decade is probably going to be in the playoff especially the expanded playoff you know a couple three more times yeah that's tcu and kansas state to me in the new look big 12 are teams i could get into the playoff not on a regular basis but every single year um, you're going to put those two teams in the top three or four in the Big 12. I mean, that just seems like a no-brainer for the next eight or ten years if the Big 12 stays in its current formation. Okay, I think we've said pretty much everything we want to say about the Fiesta Bowl. Let's uh, talk about the 8 p.m. kickoff, which will be Ohio State, the number four seed, backed their way into the playoff against number one and undefeated defending national champion Georgia. I think objectively, this is a more interesting matchup. I think there is some danger here for Georgia because of individual matchups, potentially. You know, and I think as you sort of just go player for player and and how they're going to, you know, look on the field, it can get real interesting. The question is does Ohio State have the competitive character? to execute at the level they need to physically against a similarly or more talented team like Georgia in this game, which, let's face it, is something Ohio State has not been able to do under Ryan Day. And you can just go in every one of those losses. You know, He's only lost five games as, as the coach at Ohio State. But you just go one by one, and there is a theme and a th- – through line that connects everything it's when a really physical team that is similarly talented to ohio state plays them they fold they did it last year by the way people forget they did it against oregon oregon Mm -hmm. at home early in the season they did it against michigan they did it again against michigan and now we'll see what they do against georgia which at least to my eye it's kind of just a better version of Michigan. Yeah, and I, I feel simplistic to say it, but the truth is that's the case. I mean, this is a team that um, 
in, in different ways with different skill talent and so on down the line, they still try to achieve the same thing, which is hammer you, just hammer you and hammer you. And in the fourth quarter of games, this Georgia team, regardless of whether you're within six points or 10 points, they're just going to, they're just going to hammer you. Um, for me, Ohio State has a puncher's chance because of their explosiveness. And yeah. for, for, for Georgia, it's, if there is a weak link on this team, it's the fact that they are susceptible to being hit downfield. They are susceptible yeah. to big plays. And I think uh, Ohio State has a puncher's chance because of that. Um, one thing that I'm interested in, Dan, these are two, and I'll just focus on Ohio State's to start. Ohio State's offensive line pass protection has been superb. So is Georgia's. But Ohio State's very good at protecting Stroud. I think they've given up seven sacks all year, maybe eight. Georgia's pass rush was disappointing up until Georgia Tech. And they have somehow, whether it's just the matchups or schematics, they've found a different thing. Well, it was good against Tennessee. It was good against Tennessee. They got six sacks against Tennessee. But um, a lot of that, we remember that game, like a lot of it, 30-13, and they were just pinning their ears back. You know what I mean? But uh, Georgia Tech and LSU, really successful game to the quarterback, eight sacks the last two games. If that carries over and Ohio State is unable to protect Stroud in a traditional sense and this ballgame is over, because for them to hit the ball downfield, they got to keep them clean. So I don't want to boil down a complicated matchup with tremendous talent, tremendous coaching to a single factor. But if I had to pick one, it's that. Um, third down, where Ohio State's the best in the country, throwing the ball on third down against Georgia. If they can get to the quarterback, not bring him to the ground, but just make him move in the pocket, that, that's the winning formula. If Georgia does that, um, I don't think they roll like by 30, but it, I, I think it's a convincing win. I think they put them in a box early or in a hole early and, and they and they run away with it by maybe 14 or 17 points. Yeah, it's been interesting here in Atlanta to to listen the last couple of days to what Ohio State's been asked about and what they're talking about, which which by the way, just as an aside, the Ohio State beat core is I mean, it's massive. It's unbelievable. And the funny thing is it's like a lot of the same guys have been covering Ohio State football forever yeah you know like you know tim may and bill rabinowitz and doug Lay maurice and i'm forgetting I'm, I'm forgetting but it's like so many of these dudes i mean they've so been... it's, it's funny dan like you and i go to these semis right and we're like after a point you begin to recognize like the camera guy for channel four eyewitness news you know In what i mean Birmingham, like, oh, right. i've seen that dude yeah. I, I recognize him uh the guy with the miss ill-fitting pants I, I've seen him 15 times in the last 10 years. Um, Ohio State's huge. And, uh, yeah, it's hard to get around, right? Like, you, you, when Ohio State's on the, on the docket with that media core, you've got to squeeze in your questions because they will they, – they, it's got to be the biggest media core in the country. Oh, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, and they've been asking a lot about, especially uh, on Tuesday with the offense, the Ohio State offense, about – scoring three points in the second half against Michigan and, and what went wrong. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of talk about penalties, a lot of talk about not converting in the red zone. I, I, and I do think it's true. You know, Kevin Wilson, the uh, outgoing offensive coordinator for uh, Ohio State, who, who took the job, head coaching job at Tulsa, you know, they, they know that in this game, like, they have to score touchdowns. They get into the scoring areas. They, they've got to score TDs, you know, against against this team. Like, you can talk about good defenses, and maybe they are both good defenses, but at this level, it usually does turn into, I wouldn't say a shootout, because I don't like the connotation of that, but 
the execution level is just really high. You know, it just turn it just tends to be really high in these types of games. And so you've got to match that, you know, because I do think Georgia is going to execute. Um, we'll see. But uh, it's interesting because Ohio State is usually kind of the, the favorite. I mean, they're expected to win every game. They're very rarely kind of that underdog, but that that is clearly what they are here. Um, and I just think it's a big culture moment for, for Ohio State. This is, to me, like, all right, they've been called soft. They know the trends. They know what people are saying. They know what's happened when they play these types of teams. And I just think this is the one where what their culture is is, is really going to be revealed. Yes. I feel like uh, we got a sneak peek into that a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know what I mean? And I just don't, I don't like the idea that Mich- that Ohio State's like, oh wait, we need to, we need to try. Yeah, right. we can't quit. I thought we could. I hate that idea. I understand it's a reset. We all get that opportunity in life where, like, you get a second chance to do something. You're like, okay, now I'm taking it seriously. If you're waiting for to get your butt kicked by Michigan to wake up and take things seriously, that concerns me. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't, I don't know if I put a whole lot of stock into that. But like you said. If they get blown out in this game, Dan, what you've written about Ryan Day is going to resurface. Am I right? And what you've written yeah. about Ryan Day is uh, he's another loss against Georgia in the playoff or another loss against Michigan away from um, going from under scrutiny to under major, major pressure. And I don't know. Maybe if this game's get out of hand, if this game gets out of hand, Dan, maybe that timeline increases and it, that conversation starts in January, not right. next year. Well, the thing is, like – I don't think at Ohio State the expectation is that you have to win a national championship. I think what the expectation is is that when you play other elite teams that you look like you're competing at a level where winning a national championship is possible. And that's where they have failed because they have not looked like that. They have not looked they have not looked like that um against Michigan. And if they don't look like that against Georgia, if this is 52 to 24, then it just, the narrative is hard to overcome. Yeah, it becomes part of his story, Dan. It becomes a part of Ohio State's story. And if you need something to play for, um, not being embarrassed seems like a really good motivator. You know what I mean? And maybe that's what they tap into, and maybe that's what they find, and that gives them to another level. Um, it's weird, right? The dynamic has shifted so much. When Ohio State under Urban Meyer played, they would get up for these moments and you would never, ever question the energy or the killer instinct or the shark fins in the water mindset from Ohio State in these games. And then they play Purdue or they play Iowa and they come out flat because they were so emotional and so charged. I wish they could find that medium point, which they have not found against day. They take care of business. Credit to them. They take care of business against who they should. In the big They have not done so against the yeah. teams in the same conversation. Um, it feels weird for a guy who's been to a Rose Bowl, been to the playoff, been to a championship game to say he's got something to prove. But you take the Ohio State job, you take what comes with it. Absolutely. And you take, you replace Urban Meyer, you take what comes with it. And that's what comes with it. And I hate to say it because he seems like a very nice guy and players and his coaches have only great things to say about him. But if they get their doors blown off, it's going to be a very, very, very long winter, very, very long summer for Ryan. Well, and one of the things like that has come up in the media sessions, which I think is absolutely nuts, 
is, you know, people have been asking about playing indoors in perfect conditions, you know, and, and whether that favors Ohio State. I mean, come on, you're like, you're supposed to be Big Ten, right? Like, you need a perfect weather in, indoors. And by the way, the weather was fine against Michigan that day. That was a sunny day. <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't windy. It wasn't snowing. Like that was, that day was perfectly fine. And, and by the way, like, I think Georgia is probably pretty good in those conditions too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think Georgia could beat Ohio state on the moon if we got to it. I mean, I don't, I don't think it matters to Georgia. It really doesn't. Um, it's weird, right? We've been talking about this game and all we're talking about is Ohio state. I, I don't know if that means that we think there's an aura or, or a sense of an inevitability about this or because Georgia just, doesn't have a lot of flaws to discuss, but this game, Dan, and you're there and you could tell me more. It just feels like for, for me, I'm looking and thinking about this game and I'm thinking about Ohio state, not really thinking about yeah. Georgia. And well, maybe it, Dan, for maybe as I'm thinking about it, it's because I know, as you know, Georgia's going to win this game if they don't mess it up. Well, look, look let, let's, let's go back. So at the start of the season, at the start of the season, if you'd said, Georgia versus Ohio State in the semifinals, right? I think probably most people would have said, yeah, that's a game Ohio State should win. Yeah. And that's why that's why we're talking about Ohio State. Because at the beginning of the season, that's what people would have said. And now we're sitting here on December 28th, and it is totally flipped. They've been exposed by Michigan again. And by the way, there's a couple other things going on, like – you know, they had a commitment from Dylan Riola, best or top ranked quarterback in the country. Um, he decommitted. I mean, maybe he'll still go to Ohio State, but now some people think he's going to end up at Nebraska, probably going to Nebraska. Um, they're the, you know, like the number one edge rusher that it was between them and Georgia. A lot of people thought Ohio State was in the lead. Georgia closed. They didn't. Like, so there's like real stuff going on under the surface. This is the least celebratory playoff appearance maybe in the history of the college football playoff. Yeah, that's funny. It does feel that way that you put it. Um, it does. It feels like, oh boy, okay, we made it. Phew, but you're not like throwing a parade. You're just kind of like getting McDonald's and going home and going to bed. Um, so yeah, it doesn't feel like a happy, joyful moment for Ohio State. Maybe, again, because they're about to play Georgia. Hey, I want to ask you to mention Georgia, and this popped in my mind. You saw Stetson Bennett today, yep. Wednesday the 28th. You tweeted out that in all your time at these playoff events that you've never had an interview session quite as – it was unique. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Explain to me why it was unique, what Bennett was like, and was he reflective? Was he uh, Was he emotional? Was he confident? What do you get out of that that really made you sit up and take notice? Well, I mean, typically when you come to playoff games or really any sort of big game, and it's not like a one-on-one interview where you can, you know, really maybe get a rapport with somebody, you know, it's just, you know, 10 to 12 media members around a table spitting questions at players. You don't typically get great stuff, right? You get a lot of cliches. And also like just the reality is, most college football players are not great interviews generally. Um, some of that is age and experience. Some of that is just they don't really want to say anything that's going to you know, get aggregated or go viral, just keep a low profile, whatever. And also a lot of it too is just like 
people tend to mimic what they hear on SportsCenter. You know, if you're an athlete, and a lot of times it's just, you know, it's inane, very sort of surface level comments, right? And um, I mean, Stetson Bennett was just the opposite of that. I mean, he's totally open, reflective, introspective, um, just said a lot of great stuff. I mean, you know, just to kind of take people through it. So it started... And there weren't very many people around him. This was the kind of print only. And so it started out with maybe like five people. And I asked him, and this might have been even the first question, uh, because, you know, there had been talk among uh, the coaches yesterday that, you know, they had tried to figure out ways not to play Stetson Bennett. They had looked other directions. They had, you know, named JT Daniels, the starter going into the 2021 season. And everybody knows, you know, Bennett was walk on when he started at Georgia leaves, plays a year at junior college, comes back on scholarship, but it's basically like, you know, the number three quarterback. I mean, that was what he was expected to be, you know, only use in case of emergency. And, um, you know, and even at the beginning of last year, like they didn't want to play him. Right. And so I asked him about how that, you know, kind of manifested. And he said, yeah, he said they, they tried to, you know, figure out ways not to play me, but I didn't let it bother me because, you know, I realized after 2020, I hated them. And I was like, screw you guys. But after that, I was like, you know what? They're going to play the best player. Their job is to win and they make a lot of money and they don't want to get fired. So maybe I'm not the best player, but if I am the best player, I think they're going to play me. So, you know, that's kind of how he, he like processed that. And I thought that was an interesting comment. Um, he was asked about the UAB game, because if you remember 2021, JT Daniels started that opener against Clemson, but he had like an oblique injury mm-hmm. and he didn't play the next week against UAB and Bennett starts. And it, it, again, it's UAB, right? So whatever, but he threw 11 passes, five touchdowns, you know, it was a big blowout win. And here's what he said. I thought it was a great comment. He said, never had a game like that in my life, but it wasn't because of a stat line or anything like that. I kind of figured it was an outlier, but the biggest thing was when I went back and watched the tape, I could see my motion and was like, yep, that's what I've been working on. And it showed up. And I was like, you know what? It's not because we beat UAB by a billion points. It was if that's right, if that's who I am, then I can play here. Cool. And, um, you know, and then I asked him about, you know, what, uh, you know, maybe what people missed about him or what they just didn't get right about him. And I thought he was good. He talked, I mean, he just basically was, you know, talking about this idea that you can't get better as a football player is, is crazy. You know? Yeah. You may be this one thing and, and you may not be able to be six, six if you're five eleven. But what difference does that make? College football, you can be a small quarterback and, and have a lot of success, and and you, there's so many ways you can get better. And then, um, you know, and then a lot more about, uh, you know, just kind of his own internal um, monologue as he's trying to, you know, win the starting job. And I thought this was a great quote. He said, um, he said, I'd always make these throws, like one or two, and I'd be like, man, there's no way that's not good. I keep hearing people tell me I'm not good, but that looked good, you know, and, and I'd look at it and I'm like, am I dumb here? 
I didn't think so. I didn't think I was dumb. And so I was like, look, if I can do this once, I can do it all the time. Right. It's just emotion. It's, you know, I said, I don't want to sound like a nerd, but you know, gravity works and physics work. And so if I can do it once and figure out how to do it multiple times, maybe I'll be a good quarterback. <laughs> Who knows? You know? So I thought that was a great comment. And then, and then I thought the the best was kind of at the end when, you know, he talked about, um, you know, kind of the journey and how he kind of likes that it's, it's kind of been a little bit weird and unpredictable, uh, you know, and, and he was asked, could he have done this at any other school, you know, other than Georgia? And I thought it was a great answer. He said, this, I'll just read word for word. He said, you know, he said, yeah, there's been a lot of that. And I don't know because that's what's so, but that's, what's so cool about winning a national championship. It was a goal and it was amazing. But for me personally, two weeks after I'm sitting in math class and I'm like, oh, so it doesn't change. It's life. It keeps going on. And I was so grateful to realize that then instead of working at a job for 40 years to reach a goal and reaching it when I'm 63 and being like, oh, crap. So it's not about the championships or the gravy at the end of the journey. It's about the journey. And that's why you've got to pick something you love, because then you can get through the day to day and work hard and chase excellence and, and be proud of it. So like, I just think this is a guy who just totally gets it. You know, he yeah, gets who awesome. he is. He gets kind of what it's all about. He's very mature. He's funny. He's smart. I was just super impressed with with everything he had to say. Um, you know, and and obviously, look, you don't get to do what he's done if the team doesn't buy in. And I think that's really the story on him is that like all these five stars at Georgia, they bought into him being the leader of their team, and that's what's cool. Yeah, I. There's no doubt that. Um, we all doubted his talent or questioned his talent. So it's been surprising to see him be so productive, especially as he's taken on a bigger role in the offense. One thing I never knew and never could have predicted is just how mentally tough he is to go through the circumstances that he did to get the job. Yeah. To have it, to have it, have it taken away to, to compete for it, not get it to have it for a bit. And then oh, like last year, like us included the drum yeah. beat, through October, November was they got to play Daniels. They got to play Daniels. They got to play Daniels. He's one of the ultimate success stories, Dan, I think in SCC and, and maybe FBS history for how far he's come and what he's made of himself. Um, I was about to say the journey ends here, but who knows? I mean, I understand he's physically limited, but I don't want to question Stetson Bennett anymore. I feel like I've been burned too many times, um, but he's an outstanding college quarterback and, and on a, roster of 85 scholarship guys were 78 or four or five stars um he's the heartbeat of that team and well, he's, a pro, he's a program legend no no doubt about that absolute program legend well and think about what he has a chance to do i mean back-to-back national titles doesn't happen very often you know alabama did it was the last one to do it 11 12 i believe before that it was nebraska like it just doesn't happen and it's hard to do mm-hmm. and you know, and look, everybody's talking like it's already a done deal for Georgia. I don't know that that's true. I don't think they're infallible. I think the impression of Georgia that people formed in the first half of the Tennessee game is probably not reality of how good they are. I mean, that was the best version of Georgia you could have. And I do think they're playing a much better opponent here. And they're not and they're playing in a home environment, but they're not playing in Sanford Stadium. And I don't know that we're ever going to see Georgia be that good 
on both sides of the football in a half as they were that day. Like that might've been the peak. Now they may not have to be that to win this thing, but I just, I don't know that like, if that's your impression of Georgia, because that's the game you watched. I don't know that that's really truly who they are. Yeah. It's not who they are. Um, And that's not to take away how dominant or how dominant they can be, but that's not who they are. Like I said before, this is a team that just wears you down. They are eroding you, you know, play by play over four quarters. That's their, that's their blueprint. So um, when they bottle that together and they play a team that is like Tennessee, that isn't ready for that stage. Yeah. They're, they're gonna, they're gonna do that to you. Um, But they probably won't do that to Ohio state. Um, I don't think that's a possibility. I think it's more likely that this is, this is Stetson Bennett's team. They are not, the most dynamic team in the country. They are not going to, you know, rip off four 80 yard gains and a half and, and drop a couple, you know, wheel routes on you and, and make you look stupid. That's just not really who they are. They just wear you down. And, um, and, they wear, and by the way, they wear you down because they have a lot of stuff in their bag. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like do. just in terms of plays, formations, players also, players. this is a deep, yeah. deep collection of dudes who they can trot out and they can keep them fresh um, Ohio State's not like that. Their top end, yeah, is elite, elite, elite. But when you tap into lines two and three, like in a hockey line change, it, it starts to get dramatically weaker pretty quick. Um, so top to bottom, this is this is a, a matchup that doesn't really favor Georgia, but um, the way that they play, I think, matches up very well with Ohio State. Just keep plays in front of you. That's the Georgia mantra: keep it in front of you, make them work. And I think that's the, that's the blueprint to, to winning this game with a little bit of room to spare. But I also think, like, for, for Kirby in this game, you know, he kind of has a tendency to get a 14-point lead and, like, try mm-hmm. to sit on it. I don't yeah. think that's the play against Ohio. I don't think that's the way you want to play Ohio State. And I think he probably knows that. I think he knows that, but that's just who he is. I don't know if he's going to change that in this game or any game. But you're right, like, you can't go up fourteen nothing eight minutes into the second quarter and then all of a sudden say, "Hey, let's let's start playing the clock." That that's not the that's not what you can do against Ohio State. Um, Kirby knows that, like you said, that is that's just not who they are. I wonder yeah. what they do if they do get in that spot. Yeah, for sure. But I do think ultimately Georgia wins, and I think we're going to have Georgia Michigan out in L.A. I agree with you. I picked Michigan to win the national championship a couple weeks ago for our preview section. Um, we can edit this out in a couple weeks retroactively <laughs> if we get to that point. Um, but I, I do think it's going to be Georgia, Michigan, um, and I, I and that will be a collision. So we're getting ahead of ourselves. But, yeah, these games, I take Michigan by, like, I think it could get as much as, like, 17 points. Yep. It could get to 21 points. Um, but I think Michigan with, with some space um, – I wish we could talk about this like at the end of the first quarter because I think we'll know a lot about Ohio State after a quarter against Georgia. But um, Georgia eventually pulling away against Ohio State. But I don't buy into the idea that because Michigan beat them by 30 that or, or whatever, that Georgia will do the same. But I do think eventually you'll get to a point where you recognize that Ohio State is not up to the class of Georgia. They're good. Georgia's great. Or they're great. Georgia's really great. All right. That's what we'll leave it for now. Thanks for listening to the College Football Fix podcast. Be sure to Download and subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts. And, of course, subscribe to USA Today and the USA Today Sports Plus app. Definitely appreciate everybody hanging with us. We'll be back after the semifinals to talk about what happened and to preview 
the national title game. So for Paul Meyerberg, I'm Dan Wolken. It's been the College Football Fix. We'll talk to you guys next time. The College Football Fix Podcast. With Paul Meyerberg and Dan Wolken. This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports.